Ephesians chapter 2, starting from verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh caught the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The second passage comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be skipping some verses in between. But starting from verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting from verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can continue this morning to think about what it means to be united with Christ. What does it mean to to be saved, really? And we thank you for the past four weeks as we thought through this, uh, this doctrine and we've been able to marvel uh, at how awesome it is that we can be in Christ and Him in us. We pray today we'll continue on that journey as we consider what it means to be together in Christ. 
uh, for us to see that our union is not just uh, us in Christ, but all of us in Christ. And in doing that, we'll be able to, uh, to see why church is also important to you, that it might truly unite us, it might truly remind us about what we were here for and what we ought to do. Um, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, have you ever heard people say, uh, I love Jesus, but I hate the church? You ever heard people say that? I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Now, perhaps people who say this see faith as being a personal and private. Right? Why would I want to waste my time right, gathering with other people when faith is really just personal and private, and, and, and these people I meet with just going to mess it up? Uh, there's no need for that, right? I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Or it might be people who've had a really bad experience. They've, they've been jaded or they've been burnt by the church that they once attended. And so they say, well, stuff the church, right? They're all just corrupt and hypocrites. It's just me and Jesus. I love Jesus. They don't want to give up Jesus, but they hate the church. Now, what, what, what for us, for, for you here? Uh, maybe, uh, given that you're here today, you probably don't love Jesus and hate the church. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here, right? So, the question then is for us who, who are here today, who, who don't hate the church, how do you actually really feel about the church? How do you really feel about the church? Does coming along today really matter to you? Did you bounce out of bed with excitement knowing that it's Sunday, it's the Lord's Day, it's church day, and you couldn't wait to eat your breakfast and drink your coffee and get changed and get in the car here early to get a, a parking spot far away so that you can walk and serve other people? Oh yeah, this by the way, it's a good thing to do if you're young. If you're under the age of uh, 30 in this church, you're young. Okay, actually 40, you're young. And you can park far away and walk. But were you excited? Really, really mattered to you to be here this morning? Because when you think about it, when you think about what church means to a lot of people, aren't all the different elements of church better done at home? I mean, you, you can go onto YouTube and search for the best worship songs in all the world with the, with the best uh, a band playing, and then you can project it onto your big screen TV with your awesome sound system, and you can just, you and God, right? You can do that at home. And, and you know, the atmosphere, if you want to, you can turn the lights down and we put some fairy lights, some mood lighting, a bit of, you know, smoke machine, right? To get the feels. And then Bible, we, we've got plenty of Bibles at home, don't we? And sermons. You could be podcasting Tim Keller right at this moment, John Piper, Stephen Tran, right? <laughs> you don't have to be listening to me. You can be at home listening to Steve. Why do you have to be here? All these elements, better than at home, really, isn't it? And if you really want a bit of fellowship, you go onto Instagram, right? And you do a live, you know, a live stream or whatever it is that you young people do these days, right? And, and then you can live story it, and then people will comment, and you feel like you're in community. Because people are putting heart emojis, lit emojis, whatever it is. Why should you bother coming to church? Why is church such a big deal? And the answer is union with Christ. Because union with Christ. Now, as I've said week after week in the last four weeks, really, union with Christ is the overarching category for thinking about salvation. Nothing of who Christ is or does is of any benefit to us, unless we are joined in Christ and Christ is joined in us. 
I've been saying over and over again that these benefits can be defined, right? The incarnation talks about that, that intimate, organic union we have with Jesus as he becomes man, fully man, and we are joined in him. We can, we can define justification about being right with God in Jesus. We can define sanctification, being made holy again in Christ. We can define all these things, but we can never separate them. It's, it's all or nothing, right? It's all or nothing. You can't have different elements of Jesus, you can only have him or you don't have him. You have all or nothing. You either have, you're either in Christ and have it all or you're not in Christ and you have none of it. Now, so far in the last four weeks, it may have been easy to assume that being in Christ is simply an individual and personal thing, right? Me in Christ and Christ in me. It, it all sounds very individual. The incarnation, the connecting of me and Jesus and our humanity, the justification, me being made right with God, sanctification, me being made holy in Christ, and certainly there is a personal union, but we must not be mistaken in thinking that it is only or even primarily a personal thing. Because Christ is one, there is the one Lord Jesus Christ, then all who are united to Him are united as one in Him. Because Christ is one, all who are united to Him are one in Him. We are in Him together. We are in Him together. You can't separate that we're in it together. Now, this has massive implication for church. And by this, I mean church as in the people, not, not the building, not the event. I'm talking about the gathering, right? Church is the, the greatest and the most tangible expression of our collective union in Christ. In fact, I want to say that our gathering is the only tangible expression that we are part of Jesus. It's the only expression. How do, how do we know we're part of a church unless we actually meet this means that church is no optional extra, and this means that our church life must reflect the unity that we have with Christ. So let's get to point two, right? I'm going to spell out three big points about being united to Christ as the church. And the first is, as I've said, we're united to Christ as one. I want to begin by showing us that salvation isn't just or primarily a me thing, that salvation is very much an us thing. We're together, united as one in Christ. And we're going to look at the, the profound and phenomenal, phenomenal prayer that Jesus prayed for all believers, a passage that we've looked at at least twice already in this sermon series. So important is it that we're going to go back and look at this John 17 passage. Let me read it out to you again. I do not ask for these only. This is Jesus praying for the current disciples sitting in front of him in the first century, uh, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Like I said, this is one of the most profound things that Jesus ever said, uh, and, and it speaks about salvation here as being about one, right? About one. And you see how many, how many times the word one is in these four verses, in verse 21, a oneness between the original disciples and us who believe in the gospel through them, through their message. And then we see it also uh, in, in between the Father and the Son, that the one, they, they may be one just as you, Father, 
are in me and I in you. That oneness between the Father and Son. A union between the Father and Son and us. We see that at the end of verse 21. That, that they, that is the disciples, us, may also be in us. At the end of verse 21. And in verse 22, that they all may be one, even as we are one. I in them all and you in me. That they may be perfectly one in the perfect bond of eternal love shared between the Father and the Son. One, one, one. The goal of salvation achieved by union with Christ is being one with the Father and the Son and being one with the Father and the Son. Does that make sense? All of us, one, together in Christ is what we've been saved for. An individualistic, private faith just does not square with God's plan of salvation. It does not square. You see, being a Christian, it's, it's not like joining a gym, right? It's not like joining a gym where you go right, for your own reasons, for your own goals, for your own gains. That's why you go to the gym, right? And there might be other people in the gym, but you're not going there for their gains and for their goals. You're going there for yourself. You may happen to be in the same space, but you're not really doing the same thing, are you? You're doing things for yourself. It's very much more like joining a sporting team. A sporting team, right? You, you go as an individual, but you go for the, for the sake of the team, for the team's goals, you train yourself up for the sake of others to be able to win together. It's not about going to the gym. It's about being part of a team. Now, let's look at one more passage about this point, about being one in Christ, right? It says the same thing in a different way. Turn with me now to Ephesians 2, uh, the one that Matthew read out before. We're going to, we're going to work through a bit of this passage to see how Ephesians 2 puts our oneness with Christ. <clears throat> Ephesians 2, verse 11. <clears throat> Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the com commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, if you're not familiar with the term Gentile, it simply means non-Jews. Okay, non-Jews. In the Old Testament, the Jews, right, the, that, ra that race of people, the Jews were called out to be the special people of God, right, set apart as holy, right? And then you know how they were holy? They were given the snip-snip, right? That's what circumcision is. It's a, it's a physical sign uh, of their special status. And as we know, nothing good ever comes without a bit of pain, right? And so you get the circumcision, that's what they're called. They got the snip-snip as a sign that they were God's special people, the Jews. Everyone else... Who, who wasn't the set-apart people of God, the Jews, were called the Gentiles. Right? If you're going to divide the world into two, I mean, sometimes we say you know, there's male and there's female, and there's young and there's old, but really, the biggest divide for humanity is Jew and Gentile. God's people and not God's people. Right? That's the, the division that separated all of humanity. Now, as we know, as you, if, as you may know, reading through the Old Testament, that even these special group of people, these Jews, set apart as God's people, closest to God, they too went astray and rejected God and their holy calling. And so even though there's a, there's a gap between uh, a man, humanity, Jew and Gentile, and the Jews were closer to God, there's also a gap between God and Jews as well as God and 
and the Gentiles because of sin. Now the gospel of Jesus Christ, the salvation plan of God is described in this passage as about tearing down the walls of hostility that divide. It's about tearing down the walls of hostility that divide. Verse 15, to create one new humanity in place of the two. No more Jew and Gentile divide. Verse 16, to reconcile this one new humanity to God. No more divide between God and humanity. All this is achieved, how? Well, you've guessed it, right? By being united with Christ. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, as Jews and Gentiles, and has broken down his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. In Christ is peace, united as one. Verse 18, and now together as one, verse 18, might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. For through him, verse 18, so that was verse 16 before, verse 18 now, for through him, for through him, we both have one access, have access in one spirit to the Father. Can you see that in Christ Jesus, in his body, through him, united together as one humanity, no more divided as Jew and Gentiles, and we were united to God, reconciled to God, no more hostility between sinners and God. And the result of this is unity. Galatians 3 puts it this way. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one. We are one in Christ Jesus. Together in Christ. All human barriers that separate us are torn down one in Christ. Now let's think about the implications of this, right? You can start to imagine what the kind of implications come out of this truth. Now the question is, is that our experience? As we come to church, as we, we've, we've, we've mixed with other Christians in other places, do we truly have a unity in Christ? Now in our church, it can be easy for us to have unity, but not a unity that is truly in Christ. It's so easy for us to be together in this church as Chinese, isn't it? That our unity is based on our culture. It is to be together as Singaporeans, right? Together in our shared experience from where many of us come from. To be together as middle to middle upper class, upwardly mobile, tertiary educated achievers of this world, for that is what many of us in this church are like. How do we know that our unity is actually based in Christ or based in these human descriptors, these human definitions of who we are? Well, it's firstly seen in who we include and who we exclude, isn't it? Who we include and who we exclude. Who are those in our church who are left out or left in the fringes of conversation? Who are those who are, true, who are left out of truly being cared for, showed concern about, thought about, as really a part of this church? Now let's be honest, in our community, which is I think 98% Asian, 
uh, a person who is not Asian will stand out. Right? We can't help that in this community. You can't help that. But, but what, what, is what we see with our eyes, what we see with our hearts. Right? We, we can say that we are one in Christ, but do we subconsciously, especially the majority of us, those of us who are Asian, do we subconsciously see the non-Asians as not really belonging to our church? Right? We are, after all, the Chinese Christian Church of Brisbane. Or are we? We actually changed that name about seven years ago. It is still you know, our, our, our history, but our present is that we, recognize, we realize and we recognize that we're in Brisbane. We're in St. Lucia. We're in Australia, where we're not all Chinese. And so we're St. Lucia Evangelical Church because we want to be a church that welcomes all. Yes, we have a particular privilege of being able to reach out to migrants and international students and Chinese people but we also have the privilege of reaching out to the world in Brisbane and in Australia and beyond. And so I'll be convinced in our heart that that's true. And so when we see people who are not Chinese, we, 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 we welcome them as if we welcome a Chinese person that comes in our midst. And perhaps even more so because we realize that, that they're coming into a situation where they would feel different, initially at least. But there is something about how we see our unity in Christ that we would embrace each other no matter what we are, no matter where we come from. With our physical eyes, we see differences, but with our spiritual eyes, we see Christ, and we see each other as being truly together in Christ. That is a great challenge for a church like us with our history and with our current state. That's who we are. We are mainly Chinese. Let's not deny that. That's a great thing. But we must not ever make people who are not like us feel like they're not like us. Because in Christ, we are all like each other. Does that make sense? That is the definition that is most important. The other thing we can think about is our speech as well, right? It's not just the way we see each other with our eyes and with our hearts, but the way we speak as we meet together. Does our conversation reflect a strong Asian cultural influence, you know, dominated by talk about Asian things like career and property and studies and achievements? by food and travel plans. When we talk about family life and parenting and marriage and singleness, you know there's a very Asianly cultural way of talking about singleness, where it makes single people feel bad, right? How come you're not married yet? That is not a Christian thing to say, okay? Because the Apostle Paul was single, as was Jesus, and they promote singleness as being a great thing. But Asian cultural, we tend to tease those of us who are not married and who are a bit older. Now, once in a while, I hear feedback from my non-Singaporean brothers and sisters uh, in the church. They don't really get kind of what the Singaporeans are talking about, all right? It's not just their, their accent. Everyone's got an accent, by the way, right? Everyone's different, so everyone's got an accent. Um, it's, it's more the content uh, about what they say. You know, Singaporeans love talking about Singapore. I'm sure every, everybody loves talking about their own country, and they talk about the places uh, that they, are, they go to in Singapore, the best food where, you know, where they went to school. And then, of course, there is sort of jargon that's, that's, uh, that's related to, to their country. And, of course, English is an in- interesting language, isn't it? It's a mix of English, Mandarin, Hokkien, Malay, Indian, all kind of mashed, mashed together. Uh, it's not that Singaporeans can't be Singaporeans, right? That's who we are. Sorry, that's not who I am anymore. I, I renounced last year, just to let you all know. I'm legitimately now just Australian. 
Um, but I was one Singaporean. I know what it feels like to love being Singaporean. It's more that Singaporeans should be aware that there are non-Singaporeans around. Right? It's more that Singaporeans see that we're together in Christ and are lovingly mindful about how our speech can unite us to Christ rather than just unite us as Christians, uh, as, as Singaporeans, sorry. That our speech can be used to unite us as Christians, not just as Singaporeans. Now, I'm only picking on the Singaporeans because this is the feedback I've heard, right, in our community. It's what's present and real. But in a way, I want to pick on all of us and all of the ways that we exclude other people and the way we make people feel out of place because of the things that we say. The Singaporeans are only an example of the wider issue and problem that we need to work on. We all, with our different and unique ways, in our different nationalities and cultures and interests, we tend to form cliques, which are natural and human, but we have to be lovingly mindful of how those cliques can exclude. And in the context when we are gathered together to think about how our speech and our actions can break down those barriers. I'm urging all of us to make those differences secondary and to elevate and to make primary what unites us in Christ. You see, there will come a time, and I hope in the near future, where we will have a church that reflects more and more of what St. Lucia looks like and Brisbane and Australia looks like. There hopefully will come a time where we have enough resources, and we pretty much do now, to be able to plant a church and, and to preach the gospel in the way that we do and to, and to do church in the way that we do that includes a wider demographic of our city. And that means that the differences will be even more apparent. And that means that we must keep asking ourselves whether we care more for our together, togetherness in Christ or whether we care more about our current human culture, whatever that is. There will be a time where that will be tested as we become more diverse. So the question is right now, what does our heart see? What do we want to be like in this church? Do we want to be united in Christ or in something else? Now, point B, moving on. The church profound, the body of Christ. There are quite a few metaphors the Bible uses to describe our being together in Christ. And at the end of Ephesians 2, you already see that we are like citizens of a kingdom, right, and, and, and so on. But the most prominent and helpful metaphor in the of the church uh, is the body of Christ. Right? That's probably the most prominent and I think the most helpful metaphor about being united in Christ, and that is to be the body of Christ, the church. Now let's start with something profound, okay? So I want you to turn back one page to Ephesians 1. I want to start with a profound about this church picture, okay? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 to 23. We're starting mid-sentence here, and the context is God's power is at work, right? That, that God worked, so verse 20, God's power that he worked in Christ when God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, this is a super dense four verses, 
But God's eternal plans are spelt out here. And we see it in verse 20 and 21. God, powerful, almighty God, raised Jesus from the dead and gave him to be the head, the boss, the king over absolutely everything this time and forever. Right? That's what verse 20 and 21 says. That's profound. But I want us to focus right now on the next two verses because that is truly incredible. Like the first part, verse 20 and 21, we get that. Jesus, head above all. But verse 22 and 23, what has God done? In giving Jesus to be the head over all things, God now gives Jesus as head, the head to the church. Verse 22, right? The one who's been given the, the headship, the, the rule, the boss over all things now and forever is given to the church as the head of the church and for the church to be his body, a gift. Jesus is a gift to the church where he is the head and we are his body. Isn't that amazing? We get to be physically and intimately connected to Jesus. And listen to Ephesians 2. So next chapter, Ephesians 2, see, see the implications of this, right? Verse 5 and 6. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, we were made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And we have been raised up with him. And he has seated us with him in the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. So now that Jesus has been given to the church as the head and we are his body and we go where he goes. And where, where is he? In the heavenly places at the right hand of God above every rule. And that is what the church has been given. To share in his eternal rule. And we, we, we're doing that work now, right? Of ordering the world under Christ as we preach the gospel and live out his ways in the world. And when he returns, we will properly and completely rule the world under his sovereign rule. This right here is the big deal about being the church, the body of Christ. That we have been gifted Jesus as our head. We are with him in the heavenly places ruling. It's as profound as that. Dare we think dismissively and, and lowly of the church. Dare we think dismissively and lowly about the church. Is that how you saw yourself this morning when you came here? Is that how you see yourself every week when we meet together as the church, when we meet in fellowship groups, when we go for camps together? Is there a profound sense of realization that you are gathering as Christ's body, as those seated in the heavenly places with Christ, sharing his rule and authority now and forever? Or do we come to church with little to no expectations? We trudge in with sleepy eyes, empty minds, and hard and stubborn hearts. Is that how we come into church every week? Do we just rock up when we feel like it? Do we think little of missing church, you know, here or there? Three out of four, that's pretty good. Even two out of four, that's 50%, that's a pass. There is no need to keep going so often, so regularly. Is that how we think about church? Given who we are, the church, the body of Christ, in this profound way, what possible reasons on earth are there to miss church, to not want to meet together? God uh, has made us to be the body of Christ. 
and the only tangible expression that we are God's people, the body of Christ, is when we meet together as the church. It is true, spiritually, that we're always in Christ and that He's always in us. But the Bible makes it clear that the church, when it meets together, is the only concrete, tangible, and real expression that we are in Christ. Christians go to church. Christians meet together as a church, not because we have to, but because that is who we are. Not because we have to, but that's, that's because it's who we are. So what possible reasons are there to miss church? It's work more profound than church. It's our studies, our assignments, our exams, even if it's tomorrow. Is that more profound than church? It's getting just a bit more sleep. It's hanging out with friends. It's constantly planning for holidays over weekends. Now, I'm not saying you can't go on holidays and miss church once in a while, but if it's happening without much thought of how much church you're missing, is church less profound than that? The time we meet together each week on a Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon in our fellowship groups is, is barely a few hours in a week. A few hours to be here at our all-in gathering, to be in our fellowship groups. Given how profound church is, surely we can prioritize it over all else. Surely you'd want to. Not because you have to, but because that's who you are. We don't deal in legalism because the Bible doesn't. It's not about rules. It's not about rules. It's about living out the truth. We live out who we are. United to Christ, we are together in Christ. All or nothing, right? So if you're a believer, if you trust Jesus, you're in Him, you're in Him together. So let's meet together. Let's meet together. Now that's the profound, right? That, 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 that glorious picture of being in Christ, He the head, the rule of all things, being in heaven, now let's talk about some practical stuff. The practical stuff of being one body. Uh, being a body, which has many parts, there is diversity. And turn with me now to 1 Corinthians 12, a very famous passage, so we won't work through it too closely. You can read the whole chapter on your own, right? But it, it brings up some really practical points for us in applying what it means to be united as a church, but yet being diverse as a church. I want to pick up a couple of verses to read, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And then verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now, we are not a uniform group, right, of paper cutouts. Have you ever done that? When you get paper and you fold it over many times, and then you cut a shape, and then you open it, ooh, it's all the same, Right? That is not Christianity, right? God isn't making some big group of uniform robots or, or puppets or paper cutouts. He has drawn us together, the diverse people that we are. We, we don't need to be the same and we ought not to be the same. That is not the purpose. That's why the human body is a beautiful picture of what it means to be the body of Christ. The human body, as many of you know, are made up of many parts. The medical students and the therapy students are freaking out right now, right? This is like anatomy. And then you're looking at that going, oh yes, I have to remember every single one of those muscles and ligaments and tendons and veins and arteries and oh man, right? But that, that reminds you of the diversity that's within a body. And it ought to remind us of the diversity that is in this body. The one body, yes, but with great 
diversity. Stop learning your anatomy now, right? I know you're like, want to study. You're probably thinking, oh, that muscle of mine is so small. How come that one's so big, right? Okay, so concept, right? Many parts, one body. And we absolutely need every part. Every part working to its best of its ability for the body to function. We are the church, the body of Christ. Many parts, all absolutely needed. The variety essential for the body to work. We're all different people with, with every imaginable human difference. Different in our nature, different in our experiences, different in our energies, different in our abilities, gifts, and even different in our struggles. So the question is, how will you use the person that you are, that God has made you to be, for the good of the church? To serve the oneness, the unity of the body. You see, our differences are neutral, aren't they? They can be used for good or for bad. Our differences can be a hindrance if we let it divide us. If we let, it, uh, if we let it, the differences stir up you know, and fuel conflict. If we insist on our own way, if we lack grace that accepts people with kindness, if we lack the humility to consider others as being more important than we ourselves are, that we have the humility to want to serve the needs of others rather than just serve my own needs. Our differences can cause problems or our differences can cause our body to be built up. In fact, our differences ought to be used to be the very things that causes the body to really grow and to really thrive. Have a look at verse 4, right? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empires them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's the unity word, isn't it? Our diversity used for the common good, it is what maintains and grows our unity in Christ. It's the very fact that we are different that allows the body to grow as one. So what? So come to church, right? We've said that before. And I don't just mean trudge in when you can, when you feel like it, and go through the motions. I mean really come to the church. Really want to be here and to see that you're needed here. See that you're needed here. You have a very important role to play. Never, ever, ever think that the important people are the ones standing here on the stage or there on the stage or, or, or on the rosters in the bulletins, the ones with the titles on the website. No, we're all important. We are all vital, integral, necessary, really a part of God's church, of Jesus' body. Even the crying baby is integral, right? It's a sign of beautiful life as well as a test of patience, <laughs> but a good test of patience to show that we have a humility to consider the crying child more important than ourselves. And of course, a parent's opportunity to see whether they, they want to serve the church by maybe thinking the child to the creche or, or, or how to, whatever, right? The, every person with the good and bad that we bring is opportunity for us and others to think about how we can serve other people. 
You know, for those who even feel like they're a burden, that they are taking more than they are giving, those who are in need, those who are hurting. Paul says this in verse 22. Have a look at chapter 12, verse 22. On the contrary, talking about the, the bits that don't seem so important, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. If you ever feel like you're a nobody here, or even that you're a drain on, on somebody or on, on, on resources, or, or you feel like you're not contributing like you ought to, but you're, you're taking more than you're giving, that you are weaker or less honorable, listen to the word of God. You are indispensable to Christ. You are indispensable to his body. And on top of that, you give the body an opportunity to serve an opportunity to honor you as they care for you, an opportunity to show you that you are important even when you don't feel important because you are important. We all are. And so we see, very clearly I hope, that you cannot love Christ and hate the church. You, you cannot love Christ and be uh, whatever about the church. If you love Christ, you love His church. Because the church is His body. To be saved is to be in Christ. Togetherness is not an optional extra. Faith can never just be private and personal. It must also be corporate and communal and relational. And what a privilege and joy that is and how difficult that is as well. Because in this side of heaven, our differences does cause conflict. But we ought to keep reminding ourselves of the unity that we have in Christ. Unity with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The one God in perfect unity. We, get, we are brought into all that. Unity with each other. All human barriers torn down. They will keep trying to be erected, we will keep trying to bring up all our human differences to divide us, but what has been brought down in Christ. Remind, remember that. Unity expressed so profoundly as the church, expressed so practically as we use all the differences that make us different as individual human beings to serve each other, to grow the body, to grow the church, to become more and more like Christ, to become more blessed, and to become more glorious. That is God's plan for us. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the amazing privilege it is that in Christ we be made one with you, with your Son, with the Holy Spirit, and with one another. As we reflect on the fact that in, in our human sinfulness, we have given every reason to be divided and hostile toward each other that at one time in history, there was this massive divide in humanity, those who belonged to you and those who didn't. And throughout history, that we find ways to divide based on race, based on language, based on abilities, based on so many human factors. And we give you great thanks and we're filled with such great joy that in Christ, all walls of hostility between humans and especially all walls of hostility between us and you have been torn down. 
that in Christ we can have the glory, the joy, the blessing of being one, united together, to be able to show, give, and receive genuine love, to be able to grow together in Christ. We pray so much that in our community, we would love the church, that we would express our love for Christ and our understanding of what it means to be His body by loving the church, that we would find every reason to want to meet together, that we would be able to convince ourselves why it is that we should not take on the attitude that church is an optional extra, that church is a bother, that church is, is a nothing, or that even church sucks. We pray so much, Father, that you'll help us not just to come, but to come with, with joy, with full hearts, with sharp minds, wanting to serve, wanting to love, wanting to give, wanting to express the unity that we have in Christ. Please help us to do this, for we find so many reasons to not want to be here, to want to fight with each other, to want to treat each other with neutralness or with distance. Help us to know how to treat each other as truly being one in Christ. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.